as he opens, our, uh, opens your word to us. So Lord, please give us attentive ears and open eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today's lesson is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, starting at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And this is what he actually says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody? Wonderful to see you all here. Happy New Year. Don't seem very thrilled about that, do you? <laughs> Maybe you know something I don't. Thank you, John. Thank you for leading us so well. I particularly loved your notice this morning when you said, for those who have children and don't know it. Uh, but, oh, but, but don't know it. Rock salt is available for 4 to 11 year That's right. It does remind me of that notice, actually. When, um, it does remind me of that notice that was once given in church about a new group for little mothers and then the notice was given for those who want to be little mothers, please go and see the vicar in the vestry following the service. It's a terrible notice to give, isn't it? Right. But today we embark on a new theme for our Sunday morning services and home group material. It's church, but not as we know it. Thinking about how God is calling us to change and how he wants us to reimagine how we are church for today. And we've been looking at that over the last year or so, haven't we? And uh, we're going to be using various uh, bits of uh, this excellent book by Phil Potter. It's called The Challenge of Change and a guide to shaping change and changing the shape of church. You don't need to buy it, but if you'd like to explore this material in more detail and from different angles, then please do um, get a copy of that book. Uh, Joyce doesn't know it, but she does have the details to, <laughs> to this book uh, in the office, and if anybody wants them, then just contact her and they can give, uh, uh, Joyce will give you the details of the book and you can order it from Amazon or from um, Illuminate in town. So, today we're going to be exploring the theme, shaping up the path to change. The path to change. Exploring how our spiritual health, our relationship with God, and our relationship corporately as a church community with God, how that will ensure that we develop and move on, that we shape up in the, the way that God wants us to shape up. Now change, new things, fresh challenges, 
all fit with the start of a new year, don't they? And all of these things are hinted at in Isaiah's message to his people all those years ago, and John read it for us a moment or two ago. What God has done before is to be forgotten, Isaiah proclaims. Leave what God has done before behind. Leave it. Well, that's not very easy, is it? If you take it literally, surely these events, these miraculous, life-changing events, they can't be erased from the minds of God's people, can they? It's an impossibility. But God says to his people, today, as with back then, stop mournfully looking back. Stop clinging to the past and open your minds to the fact that a new, miraculous act of God lies ahead. My purposes don't stand still, God tells us. The adventure continues. It is stretching way out in front of you. Don't get stuck in the past. Don't just feed off what I once did. Don't imagine that the story I'm writing you into comes to a premature end. See, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing. A new thing which you've stopped expecting. A new thing that you've stopped looking for. A new thing that you've stopped hoping for, for one reason and another. And as a church embarking on a fresh adventure, a new chapter in the ongoing story that God is writing with us, it's important for us to take notice of Isaiah's prophecy. Because meaning meant for Isaiah's community all those years ago can be taken on board by us too. So in what ways do we cling to the past? In what ways do we mournfully look back to what God did once upon a time? And how can we be open to the miraculous purposes of God today? Those things that are emerging in our own lives, the life of this church. How can we rediscover hope for God's church? How can we be watching for fresh shoots springing up in the wasteland, as Isaiah says. Well, I think it's as simple and as difficult as this. Be alive. Be alive to the new thing that God is doing. Be alive. Don't just sit there and let it happen around you. Don't shut your eyes and ears to it. Don't just retreat to that comfortable place where your faith can stagnate. Be alive to it. Be alert. Be watchful. Wait. Isaiah tells us that it's emerging what God is doing. It's bubbling up. Can't you see it? He says. Can't you perceive it? On Friday, Kate and I uh, went for a walk on Stuyperstones. Marvellous place. Fantastic. You were right, Jack. And it, we, uh, we had a wonderful walk and uh, over the top. And then we uh, headed off for lunch. And as we were uh, on the way to the pub, we, uh, we saw something quite extraordinary. This bird of prey came out right in front of us. 
and uh, off the ground, carrying a rabbit, and then flew off directly ahead. It was like one of those wildlife uh, TV programs where the, the camera is, camera's right behind them, and then it, it carries them off, and you see that from close up. It was fantastic. We could even see the texture on the feathers. It was so close. It was just amazing. And Kate says, that looks like an owl. But it, it clearly wasn't an owl. And um, so we looked when we got back, and apparently it was a hen harrier, and there's not many around. But in the winter, I've never even heard of a hen harrier. Have you? No? See? There we are. Several of you nodding. That's good. Anyway, they exist, apparently. And uh, there's only about 600 pairs in the country. It's quite remarkable to see one. And John Tiller reliably informs, informs me that there's only about four sightings of them a year in Shropshire. So we were very fortunate uh, to see that. But when you get to see something new like that, something extraordinary, it gives you a taste for more, doesn't it? I'm not going to become... Uh, a <laughs> I can't say I'm going to be a really, really good bird watcher, but it does give me a taste for seeing more. You know, I wouldn't be uh, disappointed to see more birds of prey and to compare the differences and the similarities between them. It does give you a taste for more. And this is certainly how I feel, having been a part of this church community for getting on for 18 months now. God has given me a taste for more. I can see the new thing he's doing. And I want to see more. I want to see more of what God is about. And I hope you feel the same. I hope you feel part of it. I hope you don't feel that you're being dragged along or dragged into something that you don't want. God is doing a new thing. And I hope you've got a taste for more. Our new mission statement, loving God, living his adventure. It implies that loving and living go on and on and on and on indefinitely. That the adventure is an unfinished one. That it stretches ahead into a hope-filled future. And the slogan itself arises out of this new thing that God is doing. It articulates something of what God is about in and through us as a church community at the moment. And so how can we be alive to what God is doing? How can we be alert to it? As opposed to sitting back and letting it happen around us. What are the qualities we need in our lives and in our corporate church life to be open to what God is about? Well, I think there's six ways. And these are six spiritual qualities. Qualities of our relationship with God. And they're spiritual qualities because the path to change is not found primarily through resources, values, ideas, buildings, practical things, services even, important as they all may be. The path to change instead is found simply in the renewal of our hearts. God at work in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Hearts changed by the loving power of God. Hearts committed to the adventure that God is revealing. So then, what are these six qualities, spiritual qualities that will renew our hearts, change us and help us to be alive to what God is doing? Well, firstly, the first quality, a new honesty. 
See, I'm doing a new thing implies that God is a God of movement, a God of change, a God of new things. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think it looking at the church sometimes, would you? You'd think it was that God was the God of the same thing. That God is, was the God of what was once happening and alive a long time ago. No, God is the God of new things. He never stands still. He delights in doing new things in our lives. He's the God of the new song, the new heart, the new name, the new agreement with his people, and new heaven and earth. His love for us, the Bible tells us, is new every morning. God is the God of new things. But in all that newness, God is faithful. He's dealing with imperfect people like you and me, who constantly need moving on, constantly need changing, constantly need prodding in the right direction. And all of this begins with a new honesty about who we are as a church community, what we're like, where we need to change, and how we need moving on. And last week, I was, uh, I was still feeling a little bit ropey with this uh, throat infection I've been uh, uh, struggling with. And one morning, uh, Kate and I, we took the children to school, and Kate said to me that when I'm pale and grey when I'm ill, in colour, it adds ten years on me. That's what she said. <laughs> and during the day, obviously, my, and very naturally, my resentment grew. And... <laughs> By the end of the day, I had to tell her I had been deeply scarred by the comments. And, um, but Kate clarified it by saying that normally I look like I'm in my late 20s. <laughs> but when I'm ill, I actually look my age. I thought that, I thought that was quite a good recovery, actually. <laughs> but sometimes we have to face up to hard facts, don't we? I'm not as young as I was. I don't look as young as I once did. None of us do. And I need to face up to that. And there are harder things to face up to, aren't there, in our lives, in our own lives, in our relationship with God, and how we can make that better, how we can remove some of the rubbish and the stuff that gets in the way, in every corner of our lives, and how we can put things right, put them on a better footing, But we need to be honest about that, don't we? We need to face up to those things so that we can move on with God. So where do we need to face up to things as individuals and also as a church community? Secondly, we need a new humility. Now there's a story of an Anglican vicar and a Baptist minister who were great rivals in their town and they both died on the same day and went to heaven together. Now, the vicar was thrilled, delighted to see thousands of Anglicans surrounding the throne of God. And beyond them, in an outer circle, were the Catholics and then the Methodists and the Pentecostals. And the circle stretched a long, long, long way away. But far beyond them all and over the horizon were the Baptists. Ha ha ha, said the vicar in triumph. What do you make of that? But the Baptist minister seemed quite happy with the whole arrangement. Well, I've just had a word with the Archangel Gabriel, replied the Baptist minister. And he tells me that it's the Baptists, they're the only people that God trusts out of his sight. 
<laughs> it's probably true. But earlier in his prophetic life, and you can read this earlier on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah discovered that it's only on his knees in front of God's throne, right at the heart of God's mercy and his grace, that he had any chance of being the person that he was meant to be. Only in that place. Isaiah discovered that when we start to see God as he really is, then we see ourselves for who we really are. It's a very painful but much needed fact. As a church, as individuals, we need to fall on our knees, to come before God's throne of grace, to see him, behold him in all his glory. Stop pretending that we have it all sewn up. Stop avoiding the issues that distract us and prevent us from getting close to God. Stop avoiding God's call. Stop avoiding the adventure that God is leading us each into. Only then, only then, will we be able to become the people and the church God intends us to be. A church and a people on its knees before the throne of grace. So let's do that, shall we? Let's be a people who want to proclaim God as the God of all glory and proclaim that he's on the throne and the throne of our lives and proclaim him king of this church. Thirdly then, we need a new hunger. Now God can only fill and properly use those who are hungry, those who want and expect more, those who are open to exploring new things, who are open to tasting new things, trying fresh ideas. As a church, it's so easy to be satisfied, content with our own little bit of church. We stick our toe in the water when God wants us to throw our whole selves in. We feel comfortable with church just the way we like it. Church that provides certain things that suit me down to the ground. Thank you very much. But God is calling us all, every single one of us, out of that place of limitation and comfort and restriction and familiarity. It's the way that God works. He can't work any other way. And he's moving us into new pastures, fresh territory. But that moving on can be a very, very painful thing. And I'm sure all of us have got stories to tell of how painful it can be. And this leads us into the next spiritual quality that will help in our heart transformation. And it's a new kind of hurt. It's not a very pleasant phrase, is it, that? It doesn't sit very comfortably. Now, when the Church of England report, mission-shaped church, was published, getting on for ten years ago now, before that, when it was being drafted, it had the working title, Dying to Live. But it was dropped, so I'm told, because of the potential negative media coverage. You can imagine it, can't you? Church of England, dying. You know, they dropped the to live bit, wouldn't they? But, you know, dying. 
It wouldn't be very good. But the title put its finger on a key issue. Are we willing to die as a church community so that we can live, so that we can come back stronger than ever? Are we willing for some of our convictions, our ideas and values, and how we are church to die so that we and the people we're connected with can have life in all its fullness? Are we willing for some of the ways that we go about being Christ church, based in Hill, to die so that we can arise from the ashes? Are we willing for some of our services, our projects, our events and our calendar to die so that our church can flourish into the future? It's about counting the cost, isn't it? I've shown you this cartoon before, but I thought I'd show you again. You see the advertisement, help feed the hungry. And the chicken says, we should donate some ham and eggs. And the pig says, well, for you, that's a contribution, but for me, it's total sacrifice. That's the difference between an offering and a sacrifice, isn't it? A sacrifice is incredibly painful. And in what ways are we just getting by as a church through the offerings that we make, lovely as they may be? Are we strolling along very nicely because of the offerings that we're making? When actually, if we count the cost a little bit more and make some painful sacrifices, maybe we might actually get into a sprint. The difference between an offering and a sacrifice is the pain. It hurts. When we begin to give our lives over to God, It hurts. Accepting God's plans for our lives hurts our pride. Giving money sacrificially hurts our bank balance. Saying yes to God's adventure can cost some of our hopes and our dreams. And it hurts. Putting others first means putting me second. And that hurts. This new kind of hurt God requires of us is not easy but it is essential, it's crucial for the health and the future of Christchurch. The fact is that hard as it may be, this point will actually bring about a great deal of freedom and liberation. Our mission will flourish. Our life will flourish through the sacrifices we make. What sacrifices are you and I personally making to keep Christchurch, Basin Hill, alive and well? And what sacrifice should we be making as a church as we live God's adventure together? Fifthly then, we need a new harmony. Phil Potter, in his excellent book, says that a changing church will increasingly need to know how to love one another accept one another, encourage one another, look after one another, bear with one another and forgive one another. It's essential that we make the quality of our relationships a priority so that we live God's adventure together in step, in unity, and as one. So the important question for us all to explore is how can each of us contribute to the health and vitality of the relationships of our community? What can we each do 
to do those things, to bear with one another, accept one another, forgive one another, love one another. What are those things that we can practically do? What attitudes need to change so that we can do that a whole lot better? So if that was the quality number five, then the sixth and final one is this, a new hope. A new hope given by God will undoubtedly unlock the renewal of our hearts and our church. It will lead to change, growth, transformation. Hope will lead us into the adventure that God is revealing for us. Hope will enable us to trust that all will be well. Hope will give us the courage to keep on going when the going gets tough. On Stiperstones on Friday, the higher Kate and I walked, the more we could see. And boy, what a view it is from up there. You can see a great deal. Well, Isaiah encourages God's people time after time to see that the higher we rise in worship, the closer we draw to God. The higher we rise. And the higher we rise in worship, the more we will see things as God sees them. The more we'll catch God's vision for us. And we need to keep that vision alive and well to see things with a God's eye view every day. We need to, if we're to become the church God wants us to be. So, there you have it. Six spiritual qualities to renew our hearts, to change us and help us to be alive to what God is about. Qualities enabling us to be loving God and living his adventure. The final question I want to leave us with is this. What will each of us do to help ensure that we change where we need to change and bend where we need to bend? I hope and I pray that you'll be open to God and his life-changing power at work within you and you'll cry out for these six qualities in your own life and in the life of our church community. Let's commit ourselves to God and ask him to renew our hearts, to enable us to be a community with a new honesty, a new humility, a new hunger, a new kind of hurt, a new harmony, and a new hope. And once we have these qualities and we see them growing within us, increasing within our lives, then, let's pray, we'll be changing for the better and being shaped into the church that God wants us to become. To finish, I'd love us to use the words of a song that we uh, sang in the first service of today at nine o'clock. But I want us to pray the words. Hopefully Aidan has got them. Yep. Let's say these words together. All that I am, I lay before you. All I possess, Lord, I confess. It's nothing without you. Saviour and King, I now enthrone you. Take my life my living sacrifice to you. Lord, be the strength within my weakness. Be the supply in every need, that I may prove your promises to me. 
faithful and true in word and deed. Into your hands I place the future. The past is nailed to Calvary. That I may live in resurrection power, no longer I, but Christ in me. Amen.